Please be seated. Well, Hills, uh, do come forward. It's uh, fabulous to have you with us. Uh, Hills uh, has been with us a number of times in the past, and uh, it's always very exciting listening. I've got one over there. I'll just, um, I'll get you a stand in a minute. But Hills, um, just to introduce you, uh, one thing we do know is that you love this. So there we go. Uh, enjoy, but probably after. Yes, I, I know. I, I did it for you, especially. So there we go. Um, but Hills, thank you very much for coming up from uh, Cheltenham, and uh, she lives there with her husband, who's one of the leaders at Holy Trinity uh, Cheltenham, yep. and I think you are very active in the church. Yep. And also, many of you have uh, heard Hills at uh, New Wine, so you're very much a, a new winer, and yep. also you lead that amazing ministry, Essence, isn't it? Uh, Splendour. Splendour, not yeah. Essence. And it was something like that, Splendour. <laughs> but Hills, thank you very much. We are so looking forward to whatever you're going to bring to us. Thank you. So may God richly bless you as you bless us. Thank you. Thank you for your very kind and warm welcome, and especially the Cabris. That's just exciting. I'm going to try not to tuck into it while I'm talking to you, because that would make you all very envious, wouldn't it? Um, I have been here a number of times. I think this is maybe the fourth time I've been, but it doesn't help me with the directions. Is any of you that sort of saw Anne just before the meeting would know that, you know, having arrived in Leamington Spa at seven o'clock, it then took me half an hour to find the church. So the number, it doesn't matter how long, I, how many times I come here, I still can't find it first time. So I'm going to keep trying. So I've titled um, this evening... Well, actually, having said that, I'm just going to stop for a minute. I think, does anybody here have um, an issue with headaches? Yeah? Can you put your hands up? I just think the Lord might want us to pray for you this evening. So can you, if, you've, if you have an issue with headaches, can you put your hand up? And can the people around you lay a hand on you? And we're just going to pray for you. So if you didn't put your hand up, and now you want to be prayed for, because actually you do have an issue with headaches, put your hand up. <laughs> Okay, just put your hand up so you've got somebody to pray for you. We're just going to pray for you. Let's just close our eyes. Jesus, we thank you that you're a living God. And we thank you that you're a living God who heals. We thank you for your healing power, Jesus. And we speak to every woman here who suffers or struggles with headaches. And we speak to those headaches in the name of Jesus and we command them to be gone. We command them to be gone in the name of Jesus. And we bless you to be healed. We bless you to know freedom from the torment of headaches or migraines. We speak healing over you. We declare healing over you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Does anyone have a headache at the moment? No? Okay. Well, let's hope you don't get one while I'm talking to you. <laughs> so you can report back later to Anne if, um, if anything has, you know, if God's done something. So I titled this evening, um, A Beautiful Mind. I don't know, has anybody here seen the film, A Beautiful Mind? Just a few of you. It was an Oscar-winning film produced in 2001 starring Russell Crowe, who I have to say I'm not a massive fan of his. But it is an amazing film. about. It's based on the true story of a chap called John Nash, who was born in 1928. 
He ended up being, um, very, very much later on in his life, uh, awarded the uh, Nobel Laureate for Economics in 1994, so he lived for a long time. And it's the most incredible story of his life because he began in his early 30s to suffer from paranoid schizophrenia. I'd really recommend you watch it. Uh, one, definitely one of my favorite films. And what struck me so much as I watched this film uh, a few years ago was you know, being a true story, not just a Hollywood drama. What happened to this man was having been admitted to hospital and struggling with schizophrenia in his early 30s. He then ended up actually managing to manage his mind in such a way that whilst the condition never actually technically medically disappeared, he lived free from the, he learnt how to live free from the effects of it for the rest of his life, such that in 94, so, you know, nearly 60 years later, he was nearly 60, he was awarded this Nobel uh, Laureate for Economics. Quite an incredible story, and I sort of was totally unaware of it, and really sort of impacted by the, by the potential, you know, for, for uh, trouble in our minds, and the potential sort of to walk differently uh, if, we, if we learn to manage them. And, uh, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And I love the title of the film. And I want to talk about, our, you know, how we manage our minds this evening, the kind of thing we do with our, our minds. So I thought, well, I'd call it a beautiful mind because, you know, we're beautiful as women and we want to have beautiful minds. I don't know if you saw um, the news a couple of years ago, I think it was probably about two years ago, uh, around about Christmas time, I think it was, there was this incredible vase, beautiful vase, that caught the news headlines because it was sold uh, in an auction house in Middlesex. It had been uh, discovered as a chap and his wife were clearing out their uncle's, I think it was, their uncle's house. The uncle had died. His wife had died first. The uncle then died. And uh, they got the kind of people who blitz houses in, cleared the house of all the stuff, sent them off to the auction house to, uh, you know, the house clearance people that sell off all the stuff. And uh, in the attic, they found this vase. And so uh, they, they kind of, the auction house cottoned on that it might be something a bit interesting, a bit different. So they valued the vase actually in the end at about 800,000 and put it on auction in this little house that had never seen anything more than a sort of flash cupboard in its history. And uh, were slightly dismayed on the day to see the auction house absolutely ram-packed full of bidders and curious shoppers. Guess how much it went for? Millions. 52 million pounds. <laughs> it's a great story. It's not a particularly impressive vase, but it's a great story. And the most, of course, it kind of, you know, hit the news at the time a couple of years ago because of, you know, of the shock factor. This little old man and woman had been living in this house that had belonged to the dead uncle, you know, with this priceless treasure sitting in the attic, and they had no idea. And they sent it off to the auction house. And it kind of set me thinking, you know, how they might have lived differently if they had been aware of what was under their roof, literally. You know, they would have had better holidays, they might have educated their children differently, you know, they might have had different wardrobes, had different cars, they would probably have moved house and moved out of this little semi that they lived in if they knew what was under their roof. And it's a brilliant picture of what Proverbs 4.23 says to us about the mind. Be careful how you think, because your thoughts run your life. Proverbs 4.23 says, be careful how you think. Be careful what you think, because your thoughts 
run your life. They thought they just had a sort of very ordinary, very average vase that maybe the auntie hadn't liked. <laughs> didn't go with the flowers, the colours didn't match, so she'd stuck it up in the attic. That's what they thought, and so that's how they lived. And if they'd known the truth about it, it would have changed everything. Be careful how you think, God says, because your thoughts run your life. I wonder if you live as if you believe that. I wonder if you live as if you believe that. Because it's an interesting verse, isn't it? It doesn't say your qualifications run your life. It doesn't say your past experiences run your life. It doesn't say the people you know are going to run your life. The opportunities that come your way is going to run your life. The kind of gifts and character that you have is going to run your life. How much money you have. It doesn't say your circumstances actually are going to determine the kind of life you have. It doesn't even say that God's going to run your life. It says, be careful how you think, because it's your thoughts that run your life. I don't know about you, but I think that's quite a sort of challenging notion to get my head around. I mean, if someone said to you, you know, most of us will kind of identify with this. If someone said to you when you were small, this will be true probably for some of you here, you're worthless, or you're ugly, or actually... You're a disappointment. If you were told that when you were small and nobody else came along and told you, do you know what, that's not true. This is what's true about you. Then you will have accepted that. And if you accepted that when you were small, that that was what was true about you, chances are it's still shaping your life and who you are today. Because the Bible says our thoughts, the way we think, runs our life. And I don't know about you, but I think it's quite easy to fall into the trap of thinking at times, do you know what? If things were different, if I just had a breakthrough in this scenario, you know, if my circumstances were different, if the kids had left home, or if I had kids, or if I, you know, met the man of my dreams, or actually, if this man was different, you know, (laughs) or if my boss was kinder, or I lived in a bigger house, You know, we think like that, don't we? Then things would be different. My life would be different. Stuff would happen differently. I'd be different. You know, I'd have a tidier car if I had a better one. That's what my son says to me. Yeah, right. (laughs) Mm, Really believe that. And you know, God cares about our circumstances. He cares about the things that we care about. He cares about the stuff that burdens us and causes us trouble and pain and strife. But actually, he's more interested in who we're becoming than just waving a magic wand over our circumstances. He wants us to become men and women, you know, women in here. He wants us to become women, actually, who are influenced not by our circumstances, but by the way we think. Women who can actually know joy in the midst of pain. Women who can find hope when the world tells us we should be despairing because of what's going on around us. Women who can find courage when actually we're terrified. Women who can believe for the impossible in our own lives and in the lives around us. But God says it's the way you think that runs your life. It's the way you think that runs your life, not your circumstances. And so no real change happens, no lasting change that's going to run the test of time happens in our lives 
without our minds being changed, without us thinking differently. And that's what God is interested in doing within us, creating a beautiful mind, a mind that is strong, a mind that is, you know, different, you know, to what it was when we first met Jesus. Paul says, doesn't he? You'll be familiar with this. Romans 12, verse 2, be transformed. How? By renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think. That's what it means, by changing the way you think. It's the Bible saying our thoughts have incredible powers for good or for harm. They have the power to harm us and the way we live, and they have the power to bless us and the way we live. I wonder if you've ever stopped to think, or when you last stopped to think about what goes on in between your ears. You know, have you done a bit of a self-evaluation recently? What goes on in my thought life? What kind of stuff am I thinking? What kind of stuff sort of takes me hostage when I'm not paying attention? Because actually, it's in this space that we win the battle over temptation. You know, it's in between our ears that we win the battle. It's, it's in between our ears that we lose the battle, you know, over hope or hopelessness or whatever. It's in this space space that joy and peace is found. I used to uh, be, to my shame, particularly prone to all kinds of things, but one of them was self-pity. I grew up in a family where self-pity was the kind of, you know, the norm. And uh, so I grew up, you know, being able to throw a pity party at a kind of moment's notice. And with, you know, within a few moments, I'd managed to get everybody else involved. It was great. And... Uh, <laughs> I used to think, well, I had a right to be miserable. This was going on, that was going on. Life was tough, you know, it's not fair. And uh, I wanted sympathy, you know, I wanted sympathy and I wanted the people around me to get in, you know, get in my pit with me and uh, make me feel better. And sometimes they did because they were just really kind. And, uh, but do you know what? It never, it never led me back to my peace or my joy. Never led me out of the situation that I was facing. And one day I was moaning to God, you know, about all the things that I was struggling with and all the things that weren't changing and all the prayers that he wasn't answering. And I just felt God say to me, you know, just really quietly, I just felt this voice say, Hills, start thanking me. And I'm like, God, I've got nothing to thank you for. I mean, I'm ashamed to tell you this, but I'm being honest. It's like, this is happening, that's happening, that's happening. I haven't got anything to thank you for. It's all bad. And he said, Start thanking me. So I sat there and I had to trawl, because that's what self-pity does. It shuts out all the good. It stops you seeing anything good that's going on around you. I had to trawl through my life, my experiences, just finding something, I'm ashamed to say, that in that moment I could thank God for. But as I found something and I said, thank you, God, for this, the next thing appeared in my mind, and then the next thing, and the next thing. And what God was really doing to me was making me change the way I thought. It's like my thoughts were going in this direction, and by saying to me, in that moment, he'll start thanking me, he was changing the way I thought, and it led off in a very different uh, Direction, And I can happily say I've still got all kinds of things that I'm prone to and God's working on in me. But self-pity is just, you know, it's gone. It's not an issue that I wrestle with anymore. Do you know, a number of studies have been done. I don't know if you've read any of them. Uh, about our thought patterns and the, way, and the way we think. I don't know how they do this, what they wire up to our heads or whatever. And, uh, but apparently, uh, on average, we have 60,000 thoughts a day. 
which seems to me incredible, given that when you ask a man what he's thinking, he goes, nothing. So... <laughs> I don't know if that... Sorry, guys, at the back. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's the kind of average that women, we think 120,000 thoughts and they think none and the average is 60 or whether, you know, they do actually have 60,000 and so do we. Don't know how they measure it. But guess how many of them are negative? A lot. Between 85 and 90%. It's quite shocking, isn't it? Between 85 and 90% of our thoughts are negative. I don't know what proportion of Christians took part in that survey. But given that the Bible says your thoughts run your life, that's a really significant thing, isn't it? That's a really significant thing. So here's the implication of this truth. It's not actually who God is that makes a difference in your life. It's who you think God is. It's what you think about God. It's not actually who you are that makes the difference to your life. It's the thoughts that you have about yourself that makes the difference. That's what, that's what Proverbs is saying. Be careful. Be careful how you think because your thoughts run your life. And I think that's why we are so vulnerable to attack in our minds. And I think we women particularly have very vulnerable minds a lot of the time, especially in the middle of the night. Don't know about you? Yeah. There's lots of murmuring going on. You know, in the middle of the night, I think that's when we're most vulnerable. It's like when our guard is down the most. Is it surprising that there's such a battle that goes on over our minds? Because they shape the way we think. <clears throat> Here's the thing. I don't know how many of you are mothers or you know, have got friends who've got children, but if you had a load of children in your house and they started picking up your stuff and hurling it around and you know, decimating the place and making a real mess, you wouldn't stand for it, I'm pretty willing to bet. You would get in there and you would exercise some control and bring some order and stop the mess and the chaos from happening. But do you know what? We have this thought life that goes on and a lot of the time, we just let it happen. And there's a whole pile of negativity and a whole pile of destruction that is reaped by thoughts that we don't pay attention to or don't make any attempt to manage. And it has a profound impact on our relationship with God, on the way we live life, the way we deal with our circumstances, and actually how much of God we actually encounter. It's why it needs managing. So we can respond in one of two ways. We can either go, do you know what? That's how I'm made. You know, this is me. This is who I am. You know, take a bit of a victim mentality. Think there's nothing I can do about it. I've just got to live with the mind that God's given me. You know, that's it. We can respond like that. God won't love you any less. You know, he still loves you as much as he ever will do. Or we can take the view, okay, there's some cooperation. Paul's saying, be transformed by the way I think, by changing the way I think. And if I've got to be involved in changing the way I think, then I've got to partner with God about this, and I've got to take it seriously. I've got to recognize that actually the way I think needs monitoring. It needs paying attention to. It needs addressing. So that more of God and his life can begin to flow through me. We've got to agree with God that our minds need changing. 
So I'm just gonna give you a few practical tips, three practical tips that I find or have found incredibly helpful. I'm not suggesting in recommending these tips that I have a transformed mind. My mind is being transformed. But uh, it's an incredibly precious thing actually, and I know many of you will be experiencing this when you recognize God's transforming work in you. My daughter's uh, been in Mozambique recently. She was out in Mozambique for 10 weeks and uh, she was, uh, she was incredibly ill for the five, first five weeks. She was out there uh, doing a discipleship school with Heidi Baker, uh, so much so that we were on the verge of bringing her home. And uh, I did have a kind of real peace about it. I'd been praying about it, and I you know, had been exercising a different mindset. I am somebody who's been prone to fear a lot in the past, and exercising a different mindset, you know, standing on a particular word of God. And I did have a bit of a peace about it. It wasn't that I wasn't praying for her, but I wasn't, you know contorted with worry which I might have been a number of years ago and then I went to a wedding on the Saturday and one of my very close friends and she didn't realize what she was saying but she said to me when we were talking about my daughter she said are you really worried and I stood there and I and I was honest and I said well no I'm not worried I you know I've got peace about it but you know da -de da anyway I woke up the next morning and I thought lord should I be worried <laughs> And I started having this conversation with God. Should I be worried? You know, is there something I'm missing? So easy to sort of revert back you know, to an old habit, an old pattern, and sort of thinking there was something wrong with me now that I wasn't worrying. So I prayed a little prayer, and, you know, we had some contact from her that day. And actually, you know, God was gracious and showed us that, you know, she was on the way to being mended. But it's good to know that actually real transformation can happen if we partner and cooperate with God. So three practical tips. First one, we need to feed our minds. You know, Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's talking about food, food for the soul, food for the mind, not just food for the body. And just as our bodies, as we would all know, you know, it's in the media a lot, you know, we're influenced, our bodies are influenced by what we put into them. You know, that's a no-brainer. If we eat well, we'll we're likely to have better health than if we eat, you know, McDonald's for breakfast, lunch and supper, much though my children would love to if they had the chance. But if we want minds that are going to become increasingly beautiful and strong, we need to be feeding them with the right kind of stuff, the right kind of food. And interestingly, the only promise in the Bible that is linked to a successful life is where God makes one to Joshua in 1.8. And you know, many of you will know this. He says to Joshua, be careful not to depart, let my word depart from your, depart from your lips. You know, meditate on my word day and night. And then he goes on to say, and you will be successful and prosperous in everything you do. Now, I know that some Christians, you know, they get all scared and a bit spooked when we use that word meditation as if, you know, somehow it's something that, you know, God didn't invent and God didn't acknowledge in his word. And it's, you know, only reserved for other religions. But, you know, we need to get our heads around this meditation thing, because actually every one of us in here, whether we're conscious of it or not, we meditate. Do you know that? You all meditate. I meditate and you meditate. So when you think about the situation that your child is facing at school, which isn't very good and doesn't look, you know, like it's got much hope to it, and you ponder all the different scenarios and all the different outcomes that could happen, you're meditating. You're meditating, meditating when you do that. 
When you replay the argument in your head that you have had with somebody or that you would like to have with somebody, and you go over and over again in your mind what you would like to say or what they said and what you said or what you should have said or what you would say if you had the chance, and you go over and over again in your mind about that, that scenario, you are meditating. You're meditating. Because to meditate literally means to chew on. To chew on, to chew over something. It's a kind of chewing of the mind. That's all meditation is. And depending on what you chew on, that will determine how you end up feeling. So when you go over the scenario and you meditate on the, the situation that your child's facing or another member of your family's facing and all the awful outcomes and the, the fact that you can't see anything good coming, it ends up leaving you feeling anxious, doesn't it? Or fearful or stressed or whatever it is. More so than when you started thinking about it. When you have your little meditation about that argument or that conversation or whatever it is, you can feel your adrenaline going, can't you? And you end up feeling more angry than if you were watching Downton Abbey. You know, <laughs> that's what meditation does. And God said, we all do it. So God says, meditate on my word. Feed on my word. Stuff your minds with my word. You're going to be meditating anyway, so meditate on my truth. Meditate on my truth, and it will shape your life because it will shape you. And it's so simple. It's so simple, it just needs to be intentional. The Bible's stuffed full of promises. You know, how many of you write out the promises in the Bible and stick them on post-it notes over your kitchen or your bathroom mirror? or, you know, over your cupboard so that you can see them regularly and fill your mind with God's word. It's living, it's active, it's powerful. It's like a seed that has the power to release new life in you and in your mind. But we have to choose to put it into our minds like we have to choose to put food into our mouths. We choose what goes in there. Are you meditating? Are you stuffing yourself with the promises of God? You know, it, it's so straightforward. It's just intentional. I was reading the other day. I was reading, you know, my little passage, my daily reading for the day in one, one, uh, one in Colossians one, and I just stumbled across that verse that I've read before, but I, you know, hadn't noticed it. You know, that always happens, doesn't it, when you're reading the Bible and you read something, and you think, oh, look at that, and God's just highlighting it to you. And it, it was this little phrase that Jesus uh, that says that all things have been made by Him and for Him. And it just caught my attention to get uh, again. So I just thought, right, Lord, I'm going to chew on that. So for the rest of that day, I just let it go round and round in my mind, all things. And as I did, it was like something came alive in me as the Holy Spirit was ministering to me the real truth of the fact that I'm made for Jesus. I'm made for him. Deliberately, he made me for him. And it sounds so simple, but when the spirit settles on something and brings it to life and starts letting it seep into your soul and into the depths of your mind, it changes the way you think. It's not difficult. It's really not difficult. We just need to make a decision to do it. You know, if you've got some post-it notes at home, just find one promise, write it out in the post-it notes, stick it on your cupboard or on your bathroom mirror, something you see really regularly, and choose to let your mind chew on it for a few days and see what happens. 
and then get another one. Very simple. Feed your mind with truth. Secondly, we need to fight the good fight. You know, we need to fight this thing. As I, just during the worship, I was kind of remembering the fact, well, not remembering because it was only like a few minutes ago, but I was thinking about the fact that, you know, I've been here four times now and not once have I managed to drive straight here, even though I have a map or whatever. And, okay, I haven't got the best sense of direction in the world. But um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if, you go, if you're going somewhere the first time and you go wrong, certainly in my case, every time I go to that place again, I go wrong. I might not go the same wrong, but I know I've gone wrong here before. <laughs> and so I, I either go a different route or I go, because I can't remember which of the right way was. I've never discovered the right way. So I was sitting here thinking, I know I'm coming out next November, unless Anne decides to cancel me, because I sort of tore her nerves to shreds this evening. But I did think, I wonder if I'll ever come here straight, you know, first time round. And actually, during the worship, I felt the Lord saying, that's a picture of what happens in your minds. Actually, we carve out ruts by the way we think. And we have these subconscious thought processes from years and years of think thought patterns that happen in the same way. And for some of those thought patterns, it's really hard to change them. We need the power of God and we need to be willing to fight. It's not that they can't be changed, but it's not going to be a pushover. The enemy isn't going to give up that easily and go, fine, have the mind of Christ and live the life he wants you to. Over to you. He's not going to do that. And over certain thought processes and certain thought patterns that are deeply ingrained, there's going to be a battle to get them changed. So are we up for it? Are we willing to fight? Are we willing to fight the good fight of faith with God's truth, to fight the fight with God's truth? This is what 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to Jesus. You know that phrase. You know that verse. But that's a kind of, you know, that's a wartime picture taking things captive. It's not that you sort of blow a little and they've gone. It's an intentional, I'm recognizing that, it's not good, it's not helpful, so I'm going to do something with it, I'm going to go after it, and I'm going to take it captive. I'm not going to let it have free reign in my mind, and therefore in my life. There's a battle going on, and sometimes we have to use God's word and fight with it, not just feed on it. You know, there are strongholds. The Bible talks about strongholds. Strongholds in our minds are those ingrained patterns that have like dug a rut so that when we come close to them, we slip into them and off we go. That's the way we go. That's, you know, that's the way, that's the way we think. And it's very hard to get out of them. And fighting isn't a pushover. It isn't a pushover. It's like kind of exercise. It's hard work. So we've got to decide, are we up for it? You know, how much do we want the life that God is promising us? Because we're invited to participate with him. It's not that we earn it. You know, Jesus has opened the door and offered it to us, but we do have a part to play. We participate. I uh, decided a couple of years ago that um, I needed to, uh, I live with, well, I've got four children, three boys and a, and, a, and a girl and my husband. They all love sport. I hate it. They're all quite fit. I'm not, you know, and uh, for years they've been nagging me and I sort of decided a couple of years ago that actually I probably needed to sort of begin to get a little bit, you know, fitter before I couldn't. 
So uh, my son bought me, or my husband bought me, a fitness DVD. I didn't use it for a couple of years. My son sort of cynically suggested that I should sit down on the sofa with a box of popcorn and just watch it, see what it... <laughs> to see what it was like if I wasn't going to join in. Um, well, I ignored him. But, you know, eventually I decided... The Lord nagged me hard enough, and eventually I needed to, you know, decided that I needed to do something. I needed to get involved if I wanted to see some change. And uh, everybody always says you get this endorphin rush, you know. <laughs> rubbish. It's a lie. <laughs> Don't believe that. You know. Two years on, I still hate exercise. But what I have worked out is if I want the results, I have to get involved. And actually, if I want the results, if I want a healthier heart, and I want my body to be able to move in certain ways that it might not be able to in a few years' time, I've got to actually do it properly. So I can either stand there and just, you know, not make much effort and sort of be a bit of a wimp about the whole thing, or I can do it properly and I can get out of breath and I can use proper weights instead of bags of flour and things like that. And the more I've put in, the more I've got, got out of it. You know, it's a simple principle in life. You reap what you sow. You want to reap a beautiful mind? Well, you've got to sow into it. You've got to sow into it. And uh, fighting over some of these strongholds, it's like exercise. We've got to go for it intentionally. We've got to be prepared to lift some weights. We've got, to be able to, we've got to be prepared for a bit of hard work, not to be put off if you know, everything hasn't changed within a week. What might it look like? Here's a little bit of practical weightlifting for your mind. First, you need to be, you need to be uh, sort of ruthless at identifying those strongholds or those thought processes, those ruts that you get stuck in that really undermine you. Now, many of you will know what they are because they're like CDs that play over and over again in your mind in certain situations. If you've got no idea what they are, ask God to show you. And an easy way of identifying them is when your feelings are going all over the place and you're beginning to lose the plot or you're beginning to sink or whatever. Ask yourself, ask God to show you, why am I feeling like this? And the answer will be your key to a stronghold. It's because you don't think you can do it. Why don't I think I can do it? Because you've always been told you can't do it. You know, why am I, why, why am I not going to respond to this opportunity? Because you're going to fail. Why am I going to fail? Because you've always been told you're a failure. You know? Get ready to identify some strongholds, you know, those thought patterns. Then you need to ask God what is true about the situation. It's not about banishing stuff. It's about replacing it. You know, if I say to you, don't think about a red house, what will you do? You think about a red house. Exactly. You've got to think about something different. We want to think about God's truth. So ask God what is true about you in this particular situation. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't feel true. It won't feel true. That's the whole point. But it's what does his word, what does he say about you or that situation? And write it down. So you've got to identify your, your thought pattern, your thought process. Then you have to ask God, what is the truth, your truth, about me in this situation? Then you need to make a choice to change your agreement. Who are you going to agree with? 
these, this thought pattern that's been going on for years, or are you going to start agreeing with God? That has to be an intentional choice, and it will feel really, really uncomfortable, because you are used to thinking in a certain way. And if you're going to choose to begin to agree with God, that God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you know, the enemy's going to go, ha, ha, ha. You know, of course you're not. You've never really thought that. But if you're going to start lifting weights, you've got to start, you know, retaliating and go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And actually the most effective way in my humble experience about lifting those kind of weights in a way that begins to make a difference is by declaring that truth out loud and thanking God for it. Because in thanking God for it, you are making a declaration of faith that it is true and it's true for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you say I can do all things. It's more powerful. Confession, confessing stuff out with your mouth is more powerful than thinking it. It's a declaration. It's a declaration to anyone who's listening to you. And even if there's no humans in your house, there are powers and principalities that can hear you. It's a declaration of faith. So you walk around your house or your bedroom and you say, thank you, God, that you say I can do all things or whatever your verse, your truth is. And the more you do it, you will begin to see breakthrough in your life. So lastly, you need to feed your mind with God's truth. You need to be prepared to fight with God's truth over certain areas. And then very simply, lastly, you need to fix your thoughts on Jesus. Hebrews 3.1 says we need to fix our thoughts on Jesus. So simple. But how often do we do that on a regular basis throughout the day? It's so easy, isn't it, to allow everything else to kind of come in and cram and take over. And actually the Bible says keep fixing your thoughts on him. You know, throughout the day, turn the page, turn your mind, turn your thoughts back to Jesus and think about him. Think about what he's done for you. Think about who he is for you. We were in, uh, in France over the summer holidays, and my youngest son, he loves stars. And uh, in this particular house that we were staying in, there was a telescope. And uh, he found this telescope, dug it out, looked at the stars, and it was incredible, you know, what you could see through this telescope, you know, how magnified they were. And actually, we need to do that with our minds. We need to bring Jesus into focus and fix our minds on him. And you know the thing that helps us do that the best? It's praise. It's praise and thanksgiving. And that's a discipline. Actually, during the day, to turn your mind to praise him and to thank him for who he is and what he's done. Yeah, it's an incredibly powerful weapon. That's what happened to me, you know, with my self-pity. God was training me. To, he was telling me to think differently. But actually, the more I thanked him and praised him and had to look for things to thank him and praise him for, the more he came into focus, you know, and everything else went out of focus. We can choose to fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, he's the lover of your soul. He's your rescuer. He's your hope. He's your redeemer. He's your restorer. He's your healer. He's your freedom fighter. He's the one who set you free. He's the lover of your soul. There is nothing better than we can fix our eyes on. But we need to be intentional about it because the world will fill our eyes and our minds and our thoughts with everything else. Be careful how you think. That's the Bible's encouragement to us. Be careful how you think. Why? Because the way you think, your thoughts shape your life. 
What goes on between our ears, you know, determines what goes on around us. He's paid the price for our transformation. He said we can be made new by the changing the way we think, by the renewing of our minds. It's over to us to decide to cooperate with him. And I want to encourage you and encourage myself again this evening to raise, as it were, that sort of attention to the way we think, to raise it up the scale of our priority list, that we might see some of the breakthrough and the transformation that actually we're all longing for. So why don't, I'm going to ask you to stand. I know the team have got a prayer activity that we're going to do in a moment, but I'm just going to ask you to stand before we do that because I just would love to pray before they come and introduce uh, what we're going to do next.